I'm Chase, and you're listening to The Angry Millennial, and I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm in this room or what they just fed me, but you're listening to The Angry Millennial. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to The Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers, All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now, guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at ClickGearClothingLTD. What's going on, AM Nation? And welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Today, we have lifestyle entrepreneur and podcaster, Tara Gentili. Tara, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Thank you for making it out. I know, let's be honest here, this was probably, what, five or six months in the making? Yes, I think so. So it's it's great to finally have you on, and uh, and you know let's let's get right into it. So I've known about your work for quite a bit now. Uh, I subscribed to your newsletter for quite some time. I've checked out some of your Google Plus Hangout seminars. Uh, So tell us a bit about how you started and what it was like to make that transition to being an educator. Oh, well, um, the story of how I got started is a very long one. So I don't know how long (laughs) you want me to go into that. Um, But basically, I started my business uh, about seven years ago, a little over seven years ago, um, after a sort of, uh, you know, just very stunted career in retail management, which, Mm -hmm. you know, career is a a strong, strong word Um, (laughs) for what I did anyway. I mean, there's there's certainly people who make that an awesome career, but for what I did, not so much. Um, And before that, I was on a a very academic track. I wanted to be a religion professor of all things. Um, And so my background is is not really in in business, but I was attracted to this idea of working for myself, as Mm. so many people are. I grew up in a house where my mother worked for herself and and supported. uh, She's a seamstress. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I like to say that she was a creative business owner before being a creative business owner was cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's, she's no G. Got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so now she works for me, which is awesome too, because I get all of her years of experience um, kind of translating into our customer support and sales and all of that good stuff. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's super fun. But um, yeah, I was really attracted to the idea of working for myself, of having, uh, you know, being independent, um, you know, being able to apply the skills that I had, the creativity that I had, mm-hmm. and actually make money for it. Yeah. Um, because, you know, up until that point, you know, the jobs that I had had were things that, sure, I was I was very capable. I was really good at those mm-hmm. jobs. And right. 
they weren't applying my, my best skills. And the pro- a big part of that problem was that my best skills, my creative skills, my persuasion skills, there were things that I couldn't really put on a resume because I had no proof of them. Right. And so starting a business actually let me exercise those things, build up credibility for those things, and um, and just you know allow me to finally exercise uh, these things that I had been honing for years kind of uh, under the radar. Um, and so I would say, you know, I, I certainly had a transition into being an educator, as you said, over the last seven years. And at the same time, education has been a component of my business from the get go. Right. Uh, when I started, I was I, I thought I was a blogger or that I wanted to be a blogger. <laughs> And now, of course, we know that there's so much more to being a blogger than blogging. Um, But I definitely saw this opportunity to create content that Mm. improved people's lives, that educated them on different things, that introduced them to new ways of seeing the world and new perspectives and and just other people that were out doing similar things. Uh, And so that education component has been a key part of what I've done from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, really, I the way I see it is I run a training company, a business Mm -hmm. training company. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so while I'm still sort of chief educator there, I'm also thinking about education on almost a more of a macro level. Like what does it mean to create educational experiences, training experiences in this time and in this place and in this market? Um, and, and that's been a really interesting transition for me, a lot to, to wrap my head around, but right. I'll leave it there for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I know for a lot of people, I mean, especially if you're in that space, right. One of the, the biggest things that you or anyone would really kind of, uh, struggle with is like that kind of like imposter syndrome, you know what I mean? Where you have that, that feeling in the beginning where you have to start somewhere, but then how do you say, well, shit, like I, I know I want to help people, but at the same time, how do I how do I get myself in a headspace that I have something that people want or would enjoy or could use? Um, so kind of tell me a bit about that in the beginning and, and how you, you kind of combated that. Cause I'm, I'm sure it's, 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 it's not easy. <laughs> no, no, no. I love talking about imposter complex. And one of my very best friends, Tanya Geisler, uh, is an expert in the imposter complex. And so I get to have really awesome conversations with her about nice. it. Um, so for me, imposter complex shows up in a, I think in what is a pretty unusual way mm-hmm. in that I am a very fast starter. Mm-hmm. I don't think twice when I have an idea, I just right. go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my partner laughs at me that whatever I have an idea, you know, the next minute I've bought a domain name and the next minute after that I've developed the website and right. I've got something going. Right. Right. And so he makes fun of me all the time. So I don't have that imposter complex in those very first moments. For me, imposter complex starts um, really nagging at me sort of at the halfway point. Right. And I I actually think that that might be kind of common for creatives too um, yeah. because you get into – you get into the resistance part of the work, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're actually having to push back against something. You're out of that just you know, like kind of glorious momentum of getting started. You're dealing with that resistance yeah. and the voice of resistance and the voice of the imposter complex start beating you down. Yeah. Um, and so I would say I deal more with imposter complex today. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all the success that I've had, with all everything that I've built, I deal more with imposter complex today than I did seven years ago when mm-hmm. I started. Yeah. Um, and it is a constant battle. Right. Uh, and it's 
you know, it's a it's a constant kind of rechecking of what Tanya calls my authority thesis. So, you know, all of the people, all of the information, all of the data, all of the stories that I have mm-hmm. that help me know I'm not an imposter complex, kind mm-hmm. of constantly che- or that I'm not an imposter, right. kind of constantly checking in with that and, um, you know, reminding myself that I'm in the right place, that I'm doing the right things, that I have value to offer. Right. Um, and just, you know, just regularly revisiting that. Yeah, I mean, you said it. it. It's the exciting part in the beginning. That's easy for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're like you said, you're you're buying stuff, you're you're pumped up, and then you get to that point where you have to touch shit with your hands, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, how dedicated to this am I? You know, and and you you brought up a good thing that you, you're saying that now it's it's almost probably worse than before, and and that was something that when we talked with Chase, he made a good point. I forget who it was. I don't know if it was the, the CEO of Amazon or some some highfalutin person in Seattle. Uh, he was talking to, and and he said, you know, the fear never goes away. You just pointed at different shit, right? So in the beginning, it's provide, make a living, uh, provide for your family, right? And then maybe you had some success. Then it's uh, don't lose it, don't screw up, don't don't you know? You, like you know, nowadays it's social media, overnight. You know, not even overnight, in an hour. <laughs> you can yeah. you can literally ruin an entire huge conglomerate. Uh, so that's a big fear for a lot of people. Um, so I know your your quiet power strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Which is your your branded, um, uh, let's just say, product, right? Uh, deals a lot with kind of selling yourself without feeling like you are selling yourself, right? So similar thinking to like Gary Vaynerchuk, Lewis Howes, and again even like Chase Jarvis himself. Um, how have you found that balance between between creating content and and profiting from it? Because if you know like Gary V, he talks a lot about you know um, throwing jabs, right? So you're helping other people without necessarily asking for anything. You're putting out great content to um, you know to uh, uh, educate people, to help see the benefit in what you're doing, to entice them to that you can really be of assistance to them. And then you have that right hook where you make the big ask, whether it's, you know, okay, sign up for my mastermind, sign up for, you know, uh, my new book or, or whatever it is. Um, how have you kind of found that that balance going forward? Yeah. So this is an interesting question because I think it's a really difficult balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like Gary Vee's um, analogy of, you know, jab, jab, right hook. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I also don't think it's that simple. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um the the reason being is that you know we we create all this free stuff i'm putting free stuff out constantly right, right? like mm-hmm. we're releasing a free podcast episode every mm-hmm. week and there's yeah. a blog post every week there's webinars there's free classes there's all these things that we're putting out that's free 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 and i don't stop to think i don't stop to second guess whether that content should be free or whether it should be paid like it's just it's all free all and all the free stuff is the same as the paid stuff not really, but we, that's a different conversation. Right, Anyhow, right. I don't, I'm not thinking about like, is this okay that it's free? Of course mm-hmm. it's okay that it's free. Right. Um, and so, so the more that I put that out there, the idea is the easier it is to make an ask, right? Mm-hmm. But I've also found that the opposite can be exact, can be true as mm-hmm. well. Right. That the more that you put out there, the more difficult it can be to make an ask and the more difficult, and not just from a like, why would someone even want to buy this if they're getting all this free stuff, right. but more from a perspective of, um, you know, the, the, 
the pressure on making that ask when you've put out all of this good free stuff, when you've given people all of these opportunities to succeed without paying you, the pressure of making that ask is really, really great. And so over the last, you know, really over the last few years or so, I've been trying to figure out what that balance is between creating an immense amount of high quality free content and also making sure that I ask often enough, uh, that I make the pitch often enough. Because, um, you know, with, you know, so many creatives out there, so many creative entrepreneurs out there, they've, they've heard these, you know, jab, jab, jab ideas. And so they're constantly jabbing and they're never right hooking. Mm-hmm. And there's, I, I think there's a real opportunity right now to actually flip the script back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, do a little less jabbing and a little more right hooking <laughs> yeah. and creating more of a balance right. where people expect the pitch more often, mm-hmm. where you feel more comfortable making the pitch right. more often and feel more comfortable receiving um, back after you make it as well. So I'm not sure that I've completely answered your question, no, but it's no. something <laughs> that I think about constantly. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Because of the business that I'm in, and I think it's co- it's constantly shifting. My perspective on it's constantly shifting. Um, but if I've, I've if I've figured out one thing over the last few years, mm-hmm. it's that I have an opportunity to actually pitch more than I think I do, and at the same time, that pitch has is as much easier as it's gotten to make. It's also gotten more difficult to make. It's right. it's like it's such a strange it balance. Is. No, it, it is, and and. Like uh, I teach at some local colleges and I teach like photography stuff and and I do a couple. So like one's like just learning how to do your camera. One's like the business of photography. One's about portraiture. And it's funny. I just wrapped up a, a business class. And the one thing people always ask is, like you said, what do I do or how do I convince people who are used to seeing me as X and suddenly I'm picking up a camera and they don't take me serious. And they just say, oh, bring your camera to a party. Or, hey, when you come to this thing, why don't you just take a couple of pictures, right? And and what you were kind of saying and what I agree with is that sometimes you can't break out of what people are expecting. So when it's all jabs and you make that yeah. right hook, then they go, whoa, 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 what happened, right? There's that, yeah. that disconnect. Um, and then I, t- I tell them, this woman uh, who was a... Uh, veteran right and a military spouse now and she says you know i I don't know and i go look what you have to realize is you're not going to convince everyone and if those people see you in a certain way that's fine they're your friends they're family they're whatever and you go find new people because new people the second they meet you if you say hi i'm a photographer and i charge my services and this is what i'm doing that's all they know you as yeah right so like you said you be personable you 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 give a little left hook in a sense of like um uh, you know, being nice and not being a dick, right? But at the same time, you're always taking it from the vantage point of I'm a working professional. You pay for my time. Uh, I can, you know, give you advice and we can hang out and chat and over coffee, whatever. But when it comes down to it, my time is valuable and you're gonna have to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. On my side of things, people are very, um, they're always wanting to build their list, build their list, build their platform, their audience, their network, whatever they want to call it. And so they think that the key to doing that is always giving out all this free content. Mm -hmm. And what I remind them, and to, to loop it back to your example, what I remind them is that very often making a pitch offering something for sale is one of the fastest ways to grow your audience because right. now suddenly everyone knows what you stand for. Yeah. When you're just putting out that free content, they don't they don't know how to react 
to you. Mm -hmm. When you make a pitch, when you ask for a sale, you are suddenly putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what I'm about. This is what I have to offer you. And I think the same is true with with your photographer example as well, is when you say, no, I am a photographer. Um, I can shoot this event for mm-hmm. you and it costs X, mu- right. X amount. You've now given people a new way to see you. Although mm-hmm. I also totally agree that you should go out and find people and just tell them that you're a photographer <laughs> yeah. instead of yeah. offering your services to friends. Yeah, because you know how it is. You can't, when certain people see you in a certain light, you're, you're, no matter what you try, you're never going to convince them otherwise. Okay. And to to literally spend all your effort and time and resources and just your fucking sanity to say, come on, no, no, just go down the street and find someone else because you you got to realize those people, they may support you in, in, in mental capacity, right? They might, you know, really kind of pass your name on, but they're not clients. Simple as that. They're, they're people who are along for the ride, who know who you are, who knew you when you first started out and you shouldn't try and get money from them because you know how it goes. As soon as, soon as money enters an equation, a relationship changes. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to say lose a friendship over over trying to make two hundred bucks when you're starting out, you know. Okay. Um, so speaking of that, uh, you mentioned making the transition from retail and and becoming your own person, right? So what what, do we, what would you say is your worst entrepreneurial venture, and what did you learn from it? <laughs> Um, my first entrepreneurial venture. I mean, so uh, let me, I don't know that I'm going to be able to come up with something specific that is a really good story, but I will tell you this. Um, I have a reputation for being extremely prolific, Mm -hmm. both in terms of creating content and in terms of creating, you know, experiences and just doing all the, getting all this stuff done. Right. Mm And the reason I'm so prolific is because the vast, like, I actually do way more than what people see because I'm failing all of the time. (laughs) And I get started on something and I put it on the back burner constantly or I just throw it in the trash constantly. So, um, you know, I, I think I'd have to say probably the worst entrepreneurial venture I had was a a business partnership um, that you know, it was just, it was not very honest. It was not very transparent for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. And that went pretty poorly. And at the same time, I've been able to salvage a lot of what came out of that. Right. Um, so that it, uh, it's so that it's still an important part of my, my business and my work today, yeah. not the partnership, but, but what came out of it. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me that, you know, failure and just throwing things away is just part of my process, um, as I know it is for many creative people. Mm -hmm. But I think we often forget it when we see someone who is prolific or who is successful. You forget, you know, that, you know, if you've got 10 pieces of paper in the trash, maybe they've got 40 pieces of paper in the trash, which is basically what it's like for me on a daily basis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I tell people like that. That's and that's kind of what you have to be willing to do. I mean, we all know like uh, Elon Musk, right? And and the stuff he's doing that is literally game changing, right? And and you sit there and I tell people like few people forget when he when he was starting out Tesla, it wasn't making money, it wasn't doing well. And and when Facebook had their their IPO, he made a lot of money. And then literally, I read somewhere that he, like he he okay, so made all that money. Everyone thinks you can then retire and go to an island in Fiji, right? You can buy an island and live like never care for anything ever again. And two months later, he couldn't make rent because he dumped all that money into yeah. Tesla because he knew and SpaceX and all this stuff because he knew that was going to be great. 
But that's the kind, like you said, that you have to be very comfortable with failure, right? And realize that it's just part of the process and it never really goes away. Because uh, if it does, you're not trying. You know, you're not, you're not constantly trying to better yourself and you're pretty stagnant. Um, so knowing that, what would you say is your biggest fear as an entrepreneur? Uh, it seems like you, when we think of failure and everything else, that's sort of the common ones. But if you can kind of make peace with it, it's not that big of a monster anymore. And you can, um, like the last, the last slide I have in that business class is what's the biggest fear you have in your next venture. And, and I tell people like, let's all have a round table discussion and just say it out loud. Cause once you say it out loud, it's not as scary. And once you say it out loud, you then can get, not get over it, but you can say, okay, so I said it. All right, now what, right? Like, what do I do now to, to make sure that never happens? And you become a very proactive, uh, actionable type person as opposed to like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this because of X, you know, um, but you kind of get over it. So what would you say is like something that you've had as a fear as an entrepreneur and you have, how are you able to like kind of conquer it? Oh, so I don't know that I've conquered this one yet, <laughs> but I think my biggest fear right now is um, letting down my team. Mm -hmm. My team has grown really rapidly over the last 18 months or so, mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of people that depend on me right. now, um, and there's a lot of people who, you know, they 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 plan for the amount of money that they're going to make through, through the work that we do together, and um, letting them down not being able to produce for them, mm -hmm. uh, doing something that you know, messes things up, whatever it might be, is that's what keeps me awake at night. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's never happened before. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Right. Um, and so that that truly is what keeps me up. It literally kept me up last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's those those people mean so much to me and they've given me so much in terms of their time and their talent and their ideas and their creativity and all i want to do is you know do right by them mm -hmm. and so they're those people are the people that i am constantly thinking about constantly um you know producing right. for and yeah that's that is definitely my biggest entrepreneurial fear right now nice and and you mentioned it it's it, that's something that to me, if you, your intent is right and you earn a good headspace, that's a, that's a good fear to have that a lot of people you would think would, you know? Uh, and that's why, you know, um, a lot of people that part, right. It's okay. I'm doing good by myself. I need a little bit of help. But when I start bringing on people that I'm actually paying, uh, pretty consistently, and it's not just like, you know, an intern, that it adds a whole new dynamic to to you and and what your business and like you said it, it's not taken it should not be and and taken lightly um because that's when things get dangerous you know you hear people who just oh bring on a bunch of friends that they knew from like a church group and all of a sudden like every you know just fails and and you don't realize that that may have like you said that people are depending on that income and planning around that income um so that's hard. So I, I want to say I love checking out your turn your service into a product class on Creative Live. And I know that's only the latest of a bunch of classes <laughs> that you've taught on that platform. Uh, so one, for people who, you know, who, who, so I guess everyone asks this question, right? And it's always, the answer is always pretty kind of standard. Well, how'd you get in the radar? How'd you do this? Right. And the people we talked to, like um, when we were in WPPI in Vegas, we talked to one guy 
uh, Alexis Guaresma, and he did work for HBO and, and Sports Illustrated, and he got covers. And people were like, wow, how'd you get that? And he goes, uh, persistence. That's really it. It it was a two and a half year email every couple months. How are you doing? Here's my work. Here's what I'm doing. And and the dialogue was there. And he goes, that's probably worse. He goes, the dialogue was there. Alex, we love this. It's great. Not for us. Sorry, we're going to pass. And 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 you had to keep kind of fighting through that to then say, okay, two and a half years later, I got the call and I got my foot in the door and that was that. And then three and a half years later was when, you know, I finally got my sports illustrated cover, you know, and, and, and he's like, that's really it. And that's the same thing for a lot of people. Okay. You develop rapport, you develop relationships, you continue to, to, uh, nurture them. And, and then you say, okay, you, like you said, you make the ask, you say, all right, I'm doing this. I, I really like what you're doing. All right, let's, let's see about working together. And I think for a lot of people, the toughest part about that is seeing people that, you, or let's just say seeing people or platforms you admire and realizing you are a peer, realizing you are a um, colleague, not a fanboy, not a you know fangirl, right? Not someone who just would one day love. No, no, you have to have the confidence to say, all right, we're at the same level. You know, how can we work together? Um, so tell us a bit real quickly about how you started with Creative Live and then tell me about what's been your most fulfilling class thus far that you've taught. Oh, that's a great question. So um, my story with Creative Live is not um, about persistence, actually, <laughs> um, which is, I mean, it's good and bad. But um, when they were first developing the business channel or the Money and Life channel now, yeah. Um, Craig Swanson, one mm -hmm. of the co-founders yep. reached out to me directly and just said, you know, I like your work. Um, you're one of a handful of people that we're reaching out to to start teaching a, a class nice. here. Are you interested? Can I get on the phone with you? Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, t it was completely out of the blue, like literally j this jaw dropping email. I didn't right. know anything about creative live at the time. Um, because they were, this? uh, this was the winter of so January 2012. Okay, yeah, so they're only two years. Yeah, they were only two years old. Or 2013. Sorry, January 2013. Okay. Yeah, so right before, right as they're starting to develop, you know, the San Francisco office and mm -hmm. the Money and Life Channel and all right. of that stuff, they had really only been doing photography and you know the kind of um, tangential things to that um, to that point. And so it hadn't entered my radar yet. I had no idea what it was, but I could tell from this email like this was an opportunity. <laughs> right? <laughs> This is a pretty fucking big deal. I, yeah. So I so I got on the phone with him. We chatted. It all sounded really good. I made a I made a proposal, and it just so happened that the proposal I made um, was really close to someone that they had, or really close to the proposal of someone that they had said yes to, like literally the day before. Oh wow! <laughs> and so they were like, "We really want to work with you, but why don't we swing back?" to you after, you know, we get these initial set of classes, um, mm -hmm. under our belt. It's like, that's fine. Great. No problem. So then, um, that August, so just eight months later, they got back to me and said, okay, now we've got the money and life channel underway, but we're starting a craft channel and we'd like you to kick off the craft channel. It's like, okay, well, I don't do. I was going to say, are you crafty? Craft. <laughs> Um, I had in the past, oh, okay. um, which so they is, weren't which, completely off base. No, no, they weren't completely off base. Etsy had actually suggested that they get in touch with me and that oh, it worked wow. out because they were, um, you know, the, my information was already in their system, but I said, okay. Um, and speaking to your point of seeing, seeing, um, you know, the people that you're dealing with as peers, as mm -hmm. colleagues, yeah. um, I 
<laughs> an earlier Tara would have <laughs> said, okay, well, just tell me what you need. I'll do any, I'll do whatever you need. Right. Um, but luckily, what I, I don't know what was going on in my head at the time, but I was like, you know what? That's not a good fit for me. But if you let me do do it this way, this way, this way, this way, I'll do it. And they were like, you can do whatever you want. We just want you to show up, <laughs> basically. Nice. Um, not it wasn't exactly like that, but it was almost like that. Show up, bring your audience. This is going to be awesome. Just rock out, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the end of August, and I was on stage by mid-October. That was an incredibly fast turnaround. Now I can turn a workshop around that fast, um, no problem. But then, like, the idea of planning three days' worth of content was insane, right? No, yeah, when people talk about it, I mean, it's – yeah, because it's not just, like, an hour a day either. No. So (laughs) – Recording for eight hours a day for three days on their, like, typical, you know – format. Um, and so that was, that was a monster of a project to get off, but I loved working with them. I loved the people there. And even though I knew the craft channel wasn't going to be a good fit for me, I knew that this was something that I wanted to, to keep up with. Um, so not, but a couple of weeks after we wrapped up there, I had Mm -hmm. another workshop on the calendar and it's basically, we've just been going like that. So I think I've done six workshops with them, um, of different lengths and different times. Um, but to your question of which has been the most fulfilling for me, mm-hmm. it's probably the boot camp that I did, which was build a stand called Build a Standout Business. Um, and that was five days. Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah. That a boot was camp. Were you having people doing push-ups in the mud and all that no, too? Right? No, no, no. <laughs> like, that a sca- was, like a scared you know, straight thing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the, their boot camp format is just, you know, one class a day for 30 days. But of course, I'm not there for 30 days. Right. I'm there for five days and we record the whole thing. Um, oh, which wow. Is just crazy. So you literally recorded 30 days worth of content in five days. Correct. Well, Holy. 30 one-hour segments right. in days. Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was nuts. Um, yeah. But my did you audience sleep for a week after that, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, right after that, I was getting on a plane and going to Cancun, so I had a little bit of a vacation. <laughs> nice. Although that was for work too. Oh, jeez. Um, but anyhow, uh, yeah. So my audience for that was absolutely incredible. It mm-hmm. was uh, my studio audience, my online audience was inc- incredible. Um, it was so neat to see the progress that people made over that thirty day time period. Right. Um, and it was also really neat being able to uh, interact with people as mm-hmm. they were consuming the content, which right. is not something you get to do when you're on stage no. for three yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You're, just, you're just doing it. And I can check my Twitter feed at breaks. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the extent of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so that was an incredible experience. But yeah, Creative Live has just been an amazing strategic partner for me. And they've given me such amazing opportunities to negotiate and to ask for what I want and to build experiences that are mutually beneficial for both of us. And, yeah. and that's been an incredible lesson for me as an entrepreneur. Right. Nice. And, and like you said, that I think there's been times I can say for me in my photography career where people come to me and like you said, g- give me a pretty hefty uh, project and and I in my head, I'm thinking you're over your head, you're over your head, you're over your head. And then quickly, all of a sudden, like it snaps and I'm right in, you know, you're like you're in the you're in the zone. You're like, no. <laughs> and party's going, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Totally. Like, I want to do this. And and I think that and I tell people that's also the one thing that just comes after time is the confidence. Right. So it's the confidence to say 
These are people knocking on my door. I would gladly go there and fucking sweep floors if that's what they ask me to do. But you've got the confidence to say, mm, thank you for the offer, but this is what I want. And, you know, confidence respects confidence, you know? So they're going to go, oh, shit, Tara's pushing back and she's saying she wants to do this. Let's, let's you know, let's give her a chance, see, see what she can do. And obviously you knock it out of the park and, and then the rest is history. Um, yeah. So for prospective entrepreneur students, if they had to pick one class to invest in that you've done, which would you say is the best choice? Of my creative live classes? Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably say the build a standout business. Mm-hmm. So the, so boot, the one the, I just the mentioned. Boot, the boot camp? The boot camp, yep. yeah. Mostly because... It, it's geared to positioning um, and positioning is a really important part of marketing yeah. that no one ever talks about. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so normally when we think about uh, marketing, we think about promotion mm-hmm. and we think about PR and we think about, you know, just getting the word out about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only way getting the word out about what you do works is if you have a story that people can remember, if you have mm-hmm. a brand that they can identify with, if you right. if there's something compelling about what you're saying that makes them say, ooh, I need to know more about that. And for so many brands, they lack that positioning. They Mm -hmm. lack that story. They lack that compelling message. Um, They lack that differentiation in the market. Mm -hmm. And so Build a Standout Business is all about building that positioning into basically every aspect of your business. And it's just step by step by step by step. Every single day is completely actionable. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm to this day, I am super proud of that class. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Creative Live, I know recently, and mind you, this is probably my notes from November. <laughs> so recently, <laughs> you've gotten into podcasting for Creative Live. Yeah. So you have a Profit Power Pursuit, which is a fucking badass name, I have to say. Uh, how have you found that process? And have you were you podcasting for a while on your own? Or was it like when they came to you, it was just literally, you know, okay, I'm learning on the job. Yeah. So speaking of things that I have asked them for, <laughs> uh, this was my idea. Right. And um, during the boot camp, I was I did these uh, check-in calls mm-hmm. every, at the end of every week, mm-hmm. and we do a Google Hangout. And I'd get on, and I it was kind of like doing a show. Like I'd moderate the guests that we had, and I would answer questions from the audience. And my producer Michael said to me at the end of one of them, "You know, Tara, if you ever want to talk a talk show, you know who to come to." And I was like, well, Michael, I will keep that in mind. And maybe about a month later, uh, I emailed my like my pr- production team there. And I said, guys, I've got this idea. I think you guys are missing out on a huge opportunity in the podcasting market right yeah. now. And I think yeah. I'm the right person to host this show. Here's what I have in mind. Here's how I think it would go down. Mm-hmm. And they were exceptionally receptive to nice. it right from the get-go. Yeah, because how they could they see- not be? Yeah, they saw yeah. the benefit, right? Yeah, yeah, they they could see the opportunity as well. Um, they saw it as both an, a way to highlight their current instructors and recruit new instructors mm-hmm. um, to you know to create different stories for their audience and just touch people in a really different way than what they were currently doing. Right. Um, so we had a bunch of meetings. Um, I developed it with Elizabeth um, but I can never say her name right. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth Madariaga. And wow, I don't blame Wisconsin. you. That is. It's yeah, very, it's, yeah, it is. Um, a lot of syllables in there. Yeah, I have to say it when uh, when we record outros for the yeah. podcast. I have to say it like six times in a <laughs> row, which is always a fun experiment. Um, but anyhow, I developed it with Elizabeth and Craig, and um, 
we came up with the profit power pursuit um, kind of 3P thing because I didn't just want to talk about passion. Right. Everyone in creative business talks all about passion right. and I think it is I don't think it's useless, but I mostly think it's useless. <laughs> and I wanted to I wanted what we were doing to be really different going yeah. back to that positioning thing. Yep. I wanted to talk about the logistics, the mm-hmm. grit and the administration mm-hmm. of what it actually takes to run a business. Right. Not the feel good stuff, not the fluff, not the personal development piece, but like let's let's get down. How many people do you have on your team? How are you making money? How do you manage those people? How do you manage your time? What app, what software are you using? Um, how, you know, what's been most successful for driving traffic to your site, building your list, whatever it might be. And that's proven to be a really, really good format for us. Nice. Um, I wasn't podcasting before. I'd always been intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also love audio content, like yeah. love audio yeah, yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. an NPR fan from way nice. back. Nice. Um, and yeah, and so I've been listening to podcasts for years, um, but it just wasn't something that I had gotten into. And I have always looked at Creative Live as as a, a real strategic partner, meaning they can help me grow my business and I can help them grow their business. And um, that to me in this particular case meant you know, sure, I could do my own podcast. I could hire an audio guy. I could, you know, get it all set up. Like that wouldn't be a problem. But Creative Live already does that stuff really well. Right. So yeah. why wouldn't I partner with right. them on something like this? Yeah. So that was sort of that was the genesis of it, and it's just been an amazing experience so far. We've been doing it since November. Yep. Um, I have no idea what episode number we're up to now <laughs> <laughs> because we record in batches. Oh, believe me, I know. Yeah, so yeah. I we've recorded up until like July nineteenth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I'm totally discombobulated. With no, where I'm right there with you right now. That was the I tell people all the time. That's like the the good problem we have now yeah. is the just the huge queue of content. So for interviews, we have about four and a half months recorded, and it sucks to tell people you have this great, uh, you know, high energy kind of conversation, and they're like all into it, and then they go, oh, so when's it go up? And I'm like, in four months. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. Like, And, and uh, to that point, real quick, I was thinking about, um, you know, doubling down. Right now we do a Monday episode that's interviews like this. And then a Thursday episode that's just a 15-minute episode where we just talk about whatever. Um, what's going on, what we did the last week, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so people have both types of stuff they want to they check out. But I'm already thinking like, shit, what if we do two interviews a week and then one, you know, so like Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something, um, because then I can cut that queue in half and it's still good. Like if I don't record for a month, I'm still going to have content. So that's a good <laughs> idea. But it's just, that's a lot of work, you know what I mean? And and saying that you're going to, you're going to essentially, like I said, double your bet down and say, eh, fuck it, let's do this. You know, um, it is, it's, it's a pretty big decision. So <laughs> we're kind of, uh, still doing that. So Back to yours, one of your first guests was James Victory, right? Mm-hmm. And he is an amazingly unapologetic creative. And I remember he said, you know, I make stuff, I make work to make me happy. And and like you said, the, the passion and the fluff stuff is, is, um, is very in vogue right now, right? And it's a very big conversation and it can get a little, uh, you know, a little um, uh, wishy-washy, if you will. And, but at the same time, it's true. I mean, you think of when people get to that moment where they stop doing things for other people, right? And as service-based people, that's a lot of us. 
-hmm. And we say, I'm going to do shit for myself. And if other people like it, great. And if they don't, I'm still happy. Now, am I making the, the same money? Yeah, probably not. But at least I can say I, I go to sleep at night, you know, pretty, pretty well in saying that I like it. Because we all been there. When someone offers you a lot of money and you're doing something that you just really don't like, for instance, if you did, you said, all right, Creative Live, and they want you to do crafting, right? That could be beneficial. But then you go, well, I wouldn't be happy. It wouldn't yeah. be me. Um, so when did you realize this with kind of your own stuff and how valuable has that mindset been in your career? So, um, that James Victoria episode is interesting because he does say that, that, you know, he wants, he, that he makes work that he wants to make. Right. And we started off that conversation, uh, talking about how, you know, he's got something else on his website where he says, if you want attention, pay attention. Yeah. And, I think that's where so many, especially creative entrepreneurs go wrong, is that they look at creating for other people and creating for themselves as two different silos. And what James Victoria really said in that episode was that those two things overlap, mm-hmm. that you can make work for other people and you can make work that makes you happy, um, that, that that's work that truly represents where you want, how you want to be working, where you want to be working, all of those things, but you have to pay attention. Yeah. And so yeah. for me personally... Um, and this is something that I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about and I've put a lot of effort and work into. But for me personally, mm-hmm. I pay attention a lot. Um, and so, you know, I'm I'm naturally an observant, perceptive person. I'm an introvert. So mm-hmm. that comes very naturally to right. me. I like sitting back and kind of watching to see what's happening. But in doing so, I really take notice of where people's pain points are, what the obstacles are that they're facing, what right. questions they have, you know, where, where they're taking action that's ineffective or inefficient. Mm-hmm. And I ask myself then, how do I want to solve that problem? I don't just give people what they ask for because that's useless to begin with. (laughs) Um, It's seriously, seriously useless. Um, But I do, because of how much I pay attention, I have this vast amount of of information to work from when I sit down and ask myself, what do I want to make? Mm -hmm. What do I want to create? And that means that most of the time, I am really good at both creating the work that I want to make and having a market to sell it to that is clamoring for it. Um, It's not, it's not always, it's not always as easy as it sounds, but um, you know, I've, I've sold million plus dollars in product now. Um, It, it is profitable. It is effective. Um, it takes some work, but I think, I, I just think it's incredibly fulfilling to, mm. to find that overlap of those two things. Yeah. And like you said, it is, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? No. And for some people it, that takes years, if not decades to, to get to, to say, uh, you know, and, and I tell people this is the same thing, like personal projects for photographers are important. And like you said, they are separate. But I tell people, you get lucky sometimes because what you do as a personal project suddenly brings you paid work and then you find that overlap. Uh, but again, you have to be doing it for a while to, to really get to that point. So honestly, I love doing this. And, and people always ask me, you know, why do the show? And, and I tell people, like, if it never made money, I would still love doing it because I get to chat with people I admire, people I find interesting, and I can get into their heads a bit. So who's someone you can't wait to have on the Creative Live podcast? Like who's your white whale 
That's a that's a great question. So Craig asked me that same question too as we were coming up with like our massive prospective prospective interviewee list. Um, And I couldn't come up with it at the time, but I have since come up with with the answer to that question. I am obsessed with Tina Fey. Um, I think she is just an absolutely brilliant uh, creative business person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she's savvy. I think she's hilarious. I think she's incredibly intelligent. Um, And I think that there's a lot more going on in her head Mm -hmm. or going on behind the scenes that we don't know know about. And I would love uh, to shed some light on that and to find out more about what's going on with her. So, yes. So, Tina Fey would be like my go-get interview for Profit Powered Pursuits. That's awesome. Sweet. (laughs) I I can agree. She's she's definitely someone that, um, and and it sucks to say this, but especially in in Hollywood and that kind of scene, uh, gender is a big deal. And to say that she's a woman who's who's kicking ass on every cylinder in every aspect of what goes on behind the scenes and in front of the camera is is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so an ongoing common thread of successful entrepreneurs, right, from, from Fortune 100 CEOs to self-made people like Tim Ferriss and others, and and people we've had on the show is is meditation, right? So so do you meditate yourself? Um, I know I've I've been talking to everyone and it's it's always intrigued me. I gotta be honest, I haven't done it yet but i can see how especially when we talk with chase about he talked about how uh being a, a elite athlete and that mindset and what you have to get to to perform under pressure to do the clutch um plays and, and all that kind of stuff was he, he didn't realize it then but was the beginning of his meditative um process and and helping him with his you know his his professional career later on um and why do you think it's a tying factor between all these different types of people? I, I, I assume it's like you simply, it's helping you find balance um, and and keeping you sane. <laughs> but but what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I am not a meditator. <laughs> not at all, not ever. Just um, not that I don't see the benefit of right. it for sure. Right. Um, but it's just, that's, it's just not me, at least right, right now. Um, I I personally, I'm a walker. Um, and if I don't get in an afternoon or an evening walk in a day uh, to kind of reset things and, and find a little bit of that balance again, mm-hmm. um, I find then I'm a little uh, like right now it's been, <laughs> right. it's been like two or three days since I've really gotten out and pounded the pavement and um, I'm, I'm getting a little um, weird <laughs> anyhow. <laughs> but I think, I think all, even if it's not meditation, mm-hmm. I do completely agree with you that successful people have something that they rely on to right. reset mm-hmm. um, reset their levels, yeah. you know, where yeah. they go in and they get back in touch with themselves, they get back in touch with the world, mm-hmm. um, or they get back out of touch with themselves and out of the world and and you know whatever it whatever it looks like for them. But I think it's it's all about you know, hitting that reset button, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, creating the environment in which you can thrive. Right. Yeah. And, and so changing, I should say going back a tiny bit, um, we talked about how, you know, the, the, the podcast started, right. And how you started at creative live and like we all know, aligning, especially with the show and with what you're doing, it, it, aligning yourself with certain brands and companies can be tricky. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if you have that dialogue and you have that open communication, it's, you know, how have you found going the partnership way as opposed to going like the sponsor route? Right. Where if we think about it, it's 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 literally one. Well, uh, let's just say 
one is a very uh, working relationship and one is a very uh, dry relationship where it's like you pay me X and I talk about your, your product or your company. And even if you might find that company really great and that's why you brought them on the show, you, you there's there's that difference, right? And maybe it's seeing yourself as a peer and saying, okay, I can do X, but I really think we should come together on this. But how, how have you found that? Um, so I'm a huge proponent of strategic partnerships um, for a lot of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done sponsorships before in that went back in my blogging days. I it, like I was in a niche where advertising was still a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've certainly taken on sponsors that way before. And there, there really is very little relationship. Yeah. And even within that, you have to be careful about, you know, ethically about what you say and, and, you know, when you're getting paid to say it with the strategic partnership, I think there's a lot more room for creativity. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more room to come up with new ways to approach things and, and um, kind of play off of each other's strengths. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm way more interested in that partnership relationship than I am in getting paid a certain amount, um, you know, for the work that I'm doing with this particular thing. If it was a different thing, you know, maybe I'd feel a different way. Um, There's a couple of really great episodes of the startup podcast Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they talk about sort of the ins and outs of um, the ethical side of sponsorships and how they're dealing with that as people who are trained in journalism. And I think for those of us who are not trained in journalism, it can seem like not as big a deal, but those, those episodes go way into, you know, the, what can we say? What can't we say? What are we willing to say? What aren't we willing to say? And I love that I don't have to worry about saying on my podcast, I, you know, I love, I love Creative Live. I love the people here. Um, when I'm talking to another instructor, and I, I can ask them about their experience and how being an instructor has changed them. Um, and so I just, there's, we're partners. So there, there aren't those boundaries right. uh, uh, like there are with sponsorship. So that's, I mean, I don't know how helpful that is, but that's no, been my experience. No, no, no. And and you you mentioned something that to me was was important was I, I tell people the same thing. I say, um, I say, you know, they ask, unlike anything else, I'm sure you get it, that when they see you pouring yourself into whatever it is, right? Any 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 venture, then they say, oh, well, are you making money, right? Uh, and and I, I always love those conversations. And I even did an episode. Where I just ranted about how uh, as creatives we get we get a bad rap, where people think we should turn a profit in, in you know in six months. Yet you think of any other corporate person, there's companies that can make billions of dollars and be in the red for mm-hmm. years, and it's acceptable. So um, I find that frustrating. But um, you mentioned it. Like one of the things I tell people is in the beginning, it's great. I can, I can, it's explicit. I can curse. I can say we had one episode. We hated the fact that we flew spirit to Vegas and it was horrible. Mm. And I said, fuck spirit airlines. And I can say that because yeah. I don't have anyone paying me who maybe has a working relationship with them or anything else. And I can do whatever the hell I want. And it's, that's kind of liberating kind of uh, more, that's kind of a fun, a fun space to be in. Like you said, um, that you can just do you not know, have to be constantly worrying. Um, so speaking of what you have going on and, and the, like you said, the positioning yourself, uh, with the businesses and everything else, what are some, uh, you know, we're going to go a little deep. What are some six month goals on your mind currently? One year goals, and we'll go even deep. What's like a three year goal 
<laughs> um, so right now, um, we're working on just really scaling what we currently offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have, we have some pretty hefty revenue goals that we're working towards right now. I'm working towards a million dollar revenue goal, which nice. is exciting. Yeah. Um, building out new team members, um, building out new offers. Um, and hopefully all of those things will be done, um, or not done, but will be well underway by the end of this year. Um, you know, <laughs> I am I am a, a big planner. I I and I plan pretty far out. I yeah. was just talking to one of my bookkeepers yesterday and he was saying, you know, we knew we needed to talk to you about October now because you're one of those people that actually already has your calendar set right. for that. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> Glad you did. Yeah. Um so um that that said, um my goals right now are all entirely based on scaling what mm. I've been creating over the mm. last seven years. Yeah. So I don't know that I have something other than that for a for a twelve month and a three year goal, which seems kind of silly to say. Um, but I love what I've created, and I love what we're working on right mm. now. And really, I'm just. Uh, Everything we do is just about creating better containers for that work, mm-hmm. uh, making it more efficient, setting up better systems so that we can get the work to as many people as possible. Um, and that's sort of an ongoing process. So my, you know, my 12 month and three year goals are are more like, you know, just doing more of the same. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's, you know, like you said, if you if you found, you know, hit your stride and and realize that something you're doing is really starting to to get underway yeah that's not that's not dumb at all i mean you just said it you're scaling it you're just making yep. it bigger and better um so real quick um we're wrapping up right now but speaking of like you said um the nitty gritty so is your is your team fully distributed so everyone works remotely Yep, absolutely. So you found that what, like Google Plus and like conference uh, screen calls kind of help with getting everyone on the same page? Yeah, we d- we do a lot of Hangouts, um, but mostly we use Slack now. Oh, so nice. Yeah, nice use my old job. Yeah, we are constantly on Slack talking about things. In fact, as we've been talking, all of the notifications, <laughs> and I try and ignore them as much right. as possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're all, you know, la- what was last week I was in Seattle to record the podcast. Um, we were getting, I was going to literally launch the next day after I got home. Mm-hmm. And so I was busy doing other stuff. Then I was on an airplane for for nine hours. Um my team was taking care of everything and nice. they were all just doing it on Slack. So I could, you know, I could check in and see what was happening, but I wasn't responsible for any yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and Slack is really, really great for allowing that, that mm-hmm. to happen. Um, yeah. And it's been really an incredible tool for us to use. Yeah, no, we, we, we used to use primarily Skype in my old job and then we started transitioning over to Slack and, and mm-hmm. that's what they use full time now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. I love how it kind of uh, integrated gifts and stuff like that. So you <laughs> keep it kind of lighthearted. Um, There's been a lot of gifts in yeah, this yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> a lot of cafe gifts. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you just said it one quick, one thing um, I want to ask is you mentioned you record it in Seattle. Do you always do that for the podcast or is that kind of mm-hmm. really? Wow. Yep. So you go out there and just do like, a, like you said, like two days and just record all day each day. Yeah, exactly. We do two or three days and we record uh, eight to 12 interviews at a time. So very long days. 
Um, pretty lots intensive. Of tea, lots of tea, huh? Keep the uh, yeah, I'm not a big tea drinker. So just lots of water for me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's great. Um, it's one of the other reasons I kind of wanted to do the partnership with right. them. Yeah. Um, not, not for the travel so much, but because it was going to be a team effort. Right. So a lot of times people, when they're re- recording podcasts, it's like, it's you, it's the interviewer, and then you send it off to your audio engineer or, um, you know, you send it off to whoever needs to work on it next. For <laughs> uh, Yeah, exactly. For us, um, I'm sitting in a room with my producer, right. talking to the interviewee. We've got an audio engineer right there. So if there's any issues, it's a team effort. We, right. we get it all figured out. We right plan out um, the next couple months of, of interviews. And then sure, we do send it, we still send it off um, to our, you know, our, the, the mm-hmm. audio engineer in house um, to, to edit it and everything. But uh, being there and having that collaborative experience with awesome. them yeah. is incredible. And yeah. it's one of the reasons that I've loved working with them so yeah. much is that when you, you know, when you work from home and you work on your own and you work online, it can be so isolating. Oh, yeah. um, and I hear that from clients all the time too. And so working with creative live has just been an amazing opportunity to feel like, um, I have, a team and yeah. I have support. And yeah. even though I have a team now, still um, having that team as well has just been so much fun and so oh, incredible. Yeah. And you said it, I've actually, when we, when you were with Chase, we were in that podcasting room. It's awesome. Yeah, the it books is. on it's the wall and everything nice. else. It's, yeah, yep, it's I great. I sit there for three days straight. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So, all right, listen, Tara, thank you for taking the time out and finally us being able to chat, right? So um, I think it made it that much better that there was all, we were waiting on bated breath. Um, so last but not least, who's someone you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Or in your case, was there anyone that you had on your show that you think would be interesting for us to chat with? Oh, that's a good question. So I I think a great person for you to talk to uh, would be Kathleen Shannon and Emily, well, two people really, Kathleen Shannon and Emily Thompson from the Being Boss podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, interviewed Kathleen. Uh, it won't be out for another couple of months, right. um, but they do an amazing job with their podcast. I've been on their podcast nice. and the way that they've grown that community uh, and that brand over the last year is just absolutely incredible. And they're both uh, women who are no-nonsense and also so warm-hearted and right. friendly. And I just, I think they're a really good fit. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll definitely be, uh, we'll be reaching out. Maybe we see, see you and, sure. and let them know that you, uh, you, you uh, suggested them on our show. We'll, we'll check them out. Sounds good. All right. Well, listen, Tara, thank you again for taking the time out. Um, and I hope you had fun. I know I had a great time finally chatting with you. And, uh, and next time I'm, I'm in Philly, I'll let you know. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go out for some coffee. Sounds good. All right. Take care.